Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Matt Scanlon, founder and CEO of Cashmere fashion brand, Nottam. I asked Matt to come on the show to discuss why he's been spending so much time on QVC and how on earth he's managing to lead three companies. That's up next. Hey, Matt. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been on before. Have you been on ever? No, but I've been begging you to put me on for, I feel like, years. <laughs> it's about damn time. <laughs> well, welcome. Happy to have you. Thanks for having me. You are fresh off a weekend. We have to. I have to ask you about QVC. You were on QVC over the weekend. I'm on QVC a lot of weekends. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. It is so much fun. Like if you like selling and you're a marketer and a salesperson, it is uh, like a drug. <laughs> yeah. Because they make it so interactive. Have you ever been on before? Uh, what the hell would I be doing on I don't, QVC? I don't, have you ever been there? Like have you ever had a – okay. Well, fine. Uh, they make it like a game. They like gamify the whole sales process. So while you're on air, they're like telling you, Matt, you're selling out, you're selling out. And then they're like directing you to do stuff. So they'll say like, Matt, there's 100 units left in the purple one. Go grab it. Show it to them. And then I'll grab it and they'll say something like, all right, like calls are spiking. Uh, like touch the sweater again here. Like it's very um, uh, exciting. They make it like a game. And then they show you how much you're selling while you're on air. That's exciting. So if you're like a like an instant gratification person like I am, yeah, I don't think there's like anything better than this in the whole world. Oh, I have a lot of fun. Well, here we go. So we, we do things a little bit differently, Leah. Um, we started this five years ago. I uh, actually got stuck in the middle of the Gobi Desert. And while I was out there, I recognized that there was this beautiful cashmere that came from uh, goats. Uh, and these nomadic herders were taking care of them. I actually started a nonprofit before I ever did any of this. My mission was to uh, give back. But in the process, use the material to make uh, a better a better cashmere sweater so we actually go out there I still go out there every year oh. uh, and I hand pick the fiber we're, co we're combing the goats uh, looking for the um, skinniest longest fibers so we get the softest most durable cashmere sweaters cashmere is really a remarkable fiber um, it's a little more expensive but it's worth every dime because what you're getting is much more than a regular sweater it is three times as insulating as wool uh, it is softer and more durable than most other fabrics yeah. and it's totally organic it's the reason that people aspire to cashmere absolutely it's the reason when you when you think about um, classic sweaters that people have and have loved in their wardrobe it's a cashmere sweater. You're telling me you're going every weekend these days. Mm -hmm. How long is this going on? What's this? It's a good question. for the whole holiday season? Uh, probably longer. Well, so so um, it's really funny. I met the QVC folks after speaking uh, at a conference probably a year ago, and I remember the conference. I don't know if I ever told you this story. It's really funny. I forgot I had the conference and. Uh, like I was doing a speaking thing and I got a call and the guy who was running it was like, Matt, where are you? You're on in five minutes. And I was like, what? So I rode my bike in like 80 degree weather. I show up like sweating, profusely sweating. They like mic me up, throw me on stage. And I think I crushed it. I did really well. And uh, <laughs> If I do say so. No, I'm just saying, whatever. Um, and in the audience were the QVC folks. Uh, they just happened to be there and I didn't know. And they go by a different, uh, a different name, a Quarry, I guess, is the name of totally. the, right? That's yep. the holding co. Um, so I got a card from two people afterwards from Quarry, and I was like, what is this? Like, I'm never calling these people. And they kept on trying to get in touch with me. We set up a meeting. I blew the meeting off because I, I, I didn't know what it was. I'm like, I must sound like such an idiot. Um, 
anyways, I eventually meet with them and they were like, yeah, we're QVC. And I was like, oh man, I'm such an idiot. And like, meanwhile, what I didn't recognize were these are like two of the most important people at QVC. So like, not only was I an idiot, I was probably like a bit disrespectful. <laughs> um, they wanted us. They brought us on. So Nottam did like a diffusion line almost for them. I, I think diffusion line actually isn't the right vernacular because it's our product, right? I mean, like right. it's it's really good stuff and it's not cheaper or less expensive. In fact, it's just a line specifically made for QVC. So cool. I'm the um, the talent. Amazing. <laughs> I'm the on-air talent. <laughs> Amazing. So what talk to me so this is happening for the holiday and beyond or whatever well, no, so they 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 place an order they buy a lot of product from you and then yep. you're responsible for selling it so Got um, it. i won't say numbers but i'll give you like a for instance let's say they bought a million dollars worth of stuff i'm responsible for clearing that out and selling it so i have to go on air enough times to sell through that inventory um that's like the commitment that, yep. that i make um it's a lot i mean i'm there every weekend every monday multiple times i'm on air um and that's why I enlisted Katie, my fiance, as my backup. Yeah, she would actually she would kill me if I called her my backup. <laughs> uh, she's the talent. In she's fact, the actually, plan I'm just B. there to. <laughs> I'm her assistant while she's there. Um, no, it's so it's so, it's such a big time commitment that I really have to be there a lot. But it's exciting. I really do love it. The sales process is really fun. Um, I love the customer feedback. We're getting great reviews, and they. Um, QVC is like amazing. So if like for anybody that's listening to this and and like, oh, QVC, I don't know, don't knock it until you try it. Like I definitely wasn't, I was one of those people that were like, oh, QVC. Um, It's unbelievable. Yeah. Such a powerhouse. Who is the the audience? I feel like it's older than your usual. You know, I think that there's different pockets, but I would say the largest demographic is um, slightly older. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nottam's core online audience is probably somewhere between 25 and 35. I'd say this audience probably picks up around 30 and 30 plus maybe. Yeah. Um, and they have big audiences in areas of the country where traditionally our brand hasn't been represented. And so I think that that's incredibly valuable, right? I'm totally. putting Nottam and our product in its full form. Yep. In front of millions and millions of eyeballs. It's really smart. I mean, I uh, don't think I thought of it like a smart person. We're like, this is a strategy. I was just like, oh, I get to sell some stuff. So <laughs> I get to go on air. <laughs> yeah. Ham it up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So it's proven successful. You're going back next weekend. Talk to me about your holiday. Just let's circle back. Holiday. What percentage of sales for the year? are happening during the holiday. This is a very important time for you. Yeah. Um, so Nottam's always been a seasonal business, and uh, we used to we used to get kind of nervous about that. I think early on when we were talking to investors and um, different partners, we would say, oh, you know, we're working really hard to kind of even out our sales over the year. And I think that was an immature response to that feedback. In fact, we make a product that is perfect for this time of year, right? Extremely giftable, has a brand name of its own, um, and is legitimately well-priced and a good product. So um, we've learned to really lean into it. In fact, I'd say 70, maybe a little higher than 70% of our sales are happening in a three-month period, um, which means it's kind of a pressure cooker. But now that the brand has grown, um, it's less of a pressure cooker. We're not like, oh, my God, what happens if we miss these numbers or something? We kind of know what we're going to do. We, we're well planned. Um, one of 
our investors is uh, a group in Italy, and the group is made up of family offices. So within those family offices, you have the family of Montclair, the family of Laura Piana, and they will regularly reach out to me. And, and so they're great support. Having said that, uh, while I was last in Italy, I was talking to the Montclair family. And I said, well, you know, what do you guys do? Because you make jackets. That's got, probably got to be so hard and so seasonal. Um, they're like, what do you mean? Like, you just learned to plan for it. And I was like, oh, right. Like, <laughs> duh. Like, I must sound like such an idiot. Silly. I know. So um, a lot of our sales happen this time of year. Uh, but I, I can't think of anything better. I mean, the biggest consumer holidays in human history are happening in this time of year. So if you make a product that's perfectly timed for those consumer holidays, then you can probably build a uh, larger scalable business. Yes. So. Changing for Instagram, for Facebook, for TV, for what else are you doing? Gosh. Besides QVC. Uh, well, Especially QVC, during the holiday if it's changed. Go ahead. QVC takes up a good amount of my time for the holiday, but Nottam is um, – expanding a lot. We had a big, big growth here. And uh, one of the things that we're really making a priority is um, retail. I think, I don't know, we've probably spoken about this at some point. Um, I think brands need to exist kind of everywhere all at once for a consumer. Um, And so that means online, that means working with multi-brand retailers, and that means having your own storefront or collaborating with others. we are definitely planning to scale that cha- that retail channel up. We just opened up a store in Hudson Yards, which which I'm really happy with. I, I walked in there on uh, Sunday, yesterday, and um, I hadn't met the store staff yet. And so I like was bruising around and <laughs> sneaking. And I was like, oh, what, what do you guys know about Nottam? And eventually they like caught me. They were like, what? hey, wait, like you're mad. And I was like, damn. Um are you on the floor of Discovery? I am on the floor of Discovery. Okay. Is that what it's it called? Be. It's where the DTC brands are. That's what they call it. That's so funny. You the should floor know of Discovery. <laughs> um, we we are there. I I really like it, but they did such a good job um, with the location. Like, uh, I you know wasn't sure how Nottam would do in kind of a I hate to say the word mall setting. Yeah. Um, it's. It doesn't feel like a mall. I think it's more of just a destination. The F&B options are very good. And um, so so in any event, I think they've done a, a really good job with the location. Our store looks beautiful. I was there over the weekend, and um, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It's such a beautiful location for us. So we're pushing into retail. We're planning five stores, another five stores for next year. So it'll bring us up to eight uh, yes. by the end of 2020. Um, we are going to continually expand our wholesale. You know, our brand has moved kind of in waves where we've pushed really hard into direct consumer because we had to figure it out. We had to spend to figure it out. We had to build it up. Um, Then we pushed uh, really hard into retail. At one point, we were all wholesale. So um, I think you just need to be doing everything all at once, and uh, you can kind of lean into any one of those channels at any given time or uh, any year. So next year, I guess we're going to lean into all of them at the same time. (laughs) Okay. So right now, all three of your stores are in New York. New York, what's going to happen? The next five also on same area. So, so I think we'll do two, at least two more in New York, maybe three. Um, New York is a great city for shopping. And I think there's probably nothing that compares to it. Um, So it doesn't really make sense for us to spread ourselves too thin. Having said that, we do have a lot of customers in the West Coast. So we're going to probably look at San Francisco and LA. It's kind of an unknown. I, I, 
maybe I've been to San Francisco three times and I've probably been to LA less. So um, definitely going to be relying on my team to help sort out the strategy for retail on the West Coast. But that's kind of what we're thinking. And then we might have an opportunistic location, maybe Chicago or Boston. Oh, cool. Um, we believe in a 12-month retail footprint. We believe in, relatively speaking, lo- long-term leases. Um, yes. I like traditional retail. I think if you do it well, yeah. you can build a meaningful interaction with your customer, and that's kind of what we're focused on at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Who are your wholesale partners right now? Everyone from Saks to Nordstrom's to ShopBop, Revolve, um, the, the big guys generally. And then yeah. we have hundreds of uh, boutique partners as well. Yes. Um, so we're pretty well spread out. Um, I love specialty store business. I love that interaction. You can get very hands-on. Again, we prioritize anywhere where we can um, speak directly to the customer, where we feel like we're given the opportunity to speak directly to the customer, where we can have a meaningful interaction. Um, data is, of course, important, and I think that there's a lot of conversation about data in retail. But at the end of the day, retail and selling clothing is pretty much unchanged in a lot of ways, right? Like yeah. the, the psychology of buying clothing hasn't really changed. Um, like we still shop and look for the same things kind of in the same old-fashioned way. Totally. Yes, there's more touch points, but so I, I kind of reconcile it against, you know, one, let me look at the channels that make sense for our brand in today's um, kind of social media climate, but let's also not forget what's been done very well. And let's make sure we prioritize that in terms of how we're going to develop our business. So I like traditional retail, right? Customer flow, customer interaction, good clienteling. Um, I do everything um, with very little uh, discretion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go for it. Let's take a quick break. We have to talk about your campaigns because they're really, I don't know if you call them a season. Maybe they're not a seasonal campaign, but they're these big you know, brand moments. I know uh, recently you just had the uh, cult of cashmere, which was so fun. And a lot of, um, I saw it across the subway and I saw a lot of out of home ads around Mm -hmm. that. Um, How often would you you say that you do these kind of big statement campaigns? So we try and support our busy season with out of home. Um, We also try and kind of cut through the noise. We know that when we want to do out of home, which is kind of fall, winter, fourth quarter, third quarter, um, that's when everybody wants to do it. So if we're going to do it, we need to make a statement. We need to definitely do something that rep our, represents our brand and our tone and our voice the right way, um, but stands out, makes people yeah. like think, like, what the hell? Actually, there's a little bit more to that story. So we did this Cult of Cashmere campaign uh, around New York City, and it didn't really start with that idea. So uh, I wanted to do a photo shoot up at a farm with a bunch of baby goats. And that was kind of the idea that like, you're just going to really lean into cute baby goats and fine. And we went up and we shot it. And then we looked at the photos and we're all like, wait, some of these are kind of creepy. (laughs) Like the way that guy's holding that goat. Like I, the reports were, the goats were a little difficult. I think the models felt a little uncomfortable. It was just all fine. And we spent a lot just putting that whole photo shoot together. So we felt we needed to pivot the campaign strategy. And so um, we landed on a topic that I think represented what we saw in the photos. <laughs> we're like, well, I think someone was like, 
this looks like a cult. Like, this is like a diverse group of people holding goats in weird ways. <laughs> like, it looks like we went, we're like starting a cult somewhere in upstate New York at some farm or something. And so we just like really leaned into this whole idea that we're a cult and um, we worship goats or something. <laughs> I, I don't really know how far we're going to take that. I mean, it caught my attention. <laughs> well, some of them were a little, like some of the photos of, I felt bad because the the models didn't come to to be in a cult. Like that wasn't the description that was given to them. So I was afraid that they would see themselves all over the subway and be like, oh my God, like you turned us into Boy, freaks. Cult. <laughs> <laughs> and there was another extension of this that not a lot of people know, but it got shut down. So we had this campaign running and we took over, I think, a subway station on West Fourth Street and um, we hired actors and we had actors dress up like they were in a cult and hand out pamphlets. So they were prophetizers or evangelists and they were real pamphlets, like the ones that you would get from somebody who was actually like starting a cult or something. Yeah. And it had like the pyramid of softness and how to reach like goat enlightenment and it, we really like worked on it and there was like a pin that came with it and then there was a discount in the pamphlet. Um, Cute. Yeah. And so we hired these actors and we were doing this thing or whatever and – uh, the cops came and broke it up because we didn't, we weren't permitted for evangelism or whatever, like promoting a cult, uh, which was really funny. We caught it on video and we were playing with like, should we release this? And then we decided, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so it, it kind of, I have a tendency to like push until it kind of, um, the wheels come off a little and yes. that's kind of what we did here. <laughs> yes. I feel like you are such an expert on kind of, you know, consumer behavior at this point, uh. I mean, we've talked a lot about customer acquisition and the rising costs and what brands are doing right and wrong and all that jazz. What I mean, if you had to break it down, what do you know about consumer behavior this is right my now? Favorite topic in the whole world. I'm you, so happy you asked that. Of course. Um, about a year ago, I was put in touch with um, a large strategic investor slash someone who had been in this industry for a long time, who was someone I had looked up to for a long time and had never met. And I finally met him. His name's Silas Chow. He um, has had a long career in this industry. And he told me his his story right over lunch or something. He told me his story and he said, well, you know, when I was, you know, in the 70s and working with Ralph Lauren, that's like when that style of clothing was coming up and I was the customer. And then when I was working with Tommy Hilfiger in the 80s, it was the computer age and people wanted to dress more casual. And that's where I was in my life too. At Michael Kors, same thing, right? He was a little bit older in his 50s and they were in that time of their life. So that conversation initially kind of changed my whole perspective on everything. That it, it wasn't so much about the tactical strategy. Obviously, those things need to take place, whether it's merchandising or pricing strategy or distribution or whatever. But at the end of the day, the thing that really matters is understanding the consumer demographic psychology, why people shop the way they do, why they purchase what they do, uh, why they want to evangelize a brand, why they want to um, kind of be part of something. And uh, I looked back at my journey, right? And so when Nottam first started, um, and I would tell people, I'm starting a sustainable sweater company, right? I guess that's like the easiest way to explain it. People, a lot of people told me, a lot of older people told me, um, well, that's like stupid. Like no one cares about sustainability. Like what does it cost? Most people just wanted me to talk about price and product and not really, not really talk about the sustainability thing. And I was confident that if it mattered to me, it was going to matter to a lot of other people. I don't think I'm unique as a consumer. I think I'm like a really average joke consumer. And so my intuition is that a lot of the things that I think 
um, I like or are normal to me are also normal to 90 million other millennial shoppers in the United States, regardless of socioeconomic circumstance or location, geographic, whatever, recognizing that that was what was going to make the difference for our business because eventually millennials were going to have the consumer power. And when they did, we were going to be there for them. Um, And so it's always been very core, very natural to us. So, um, yeah, it's only in the past year that I've really reconciled my journey in terms of building this business, why I did it, and why maybe it's working and, and matters to people. Yeah. But I think it has a lot to do with the consumer psychology and the purchase patterns of millennials, them becoming the majority of consumer purchases right now. Definitely. What do you know about, uh, you mentioned loyalty, obviously sustainability those people were fools. Sustainability is it. <laughs> um, but in terms of brand loyalty, uh, what do you know about your customer and maybe uh, yeah, how their much loyalty, they shop let's say. And stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we are constantly managing retention as a KPI for our business, right? Like how often a customer returns, what do their purchase patterns look like? And we will cohort customers. Um, so if you shopped a $75 black sweater in September and you live in New York City and you're 25 years old, you are a cohort and you have thousands of other people who we've bucketed you with so that we can market to you specifically so that we can either support repurchase behaviors or we can just continue to speak to you the way that you are uh, responding to, right? So if you bought one $75 sweater and you're like, this is it. I'm fine. Like, thank you. I, I like to tell people I like not them, but I'm not going to be like a super user. Fine. Then we just talk to you like that. And so you get a series of marketing touch points that um, play to that psychology and play to that kind of purchase behavior. Uh, everything from, you know, digital advertisements to emails to what the website will look like. We're constantly, oh, yeah. it, everything we do is A-B tested and everything has multiple versions of it for different customers. Um, years ago, I knew that this was kind of where it needed to go and uh, we just didn't have enough information but I always wanted to be able to do this where you could be very sophisticated because this is this is what the data should be for right you could be very sophisticated about how you were talking to people Um, that's the biggest difference I think today versus trying to do a business like this 10 years ago is that the information and the tools you need to execute against that information to either create brand loyalty, customer loyalty, customer purchases um, are very, very powerful. And so uh, we, I mean, I wish I could show you the data. It's it's remarkable in terms of how sophisticated the breakdown of the cohort analysis actually becomes. Um, I think it's what's helped us really uh, figure out who we are long-term, right? Like if you can look at that information and then take a, th- a thousand-foot view of it, you can start to see what the trend lines are and then you can react to it and either make better product at different times, whatever it is. Um, it definitely makes us smarter. But to go back to your point, you know, loyalty is, I think, the only thing that matters when you're starting a brand. If you don't have loyalty and you can only sell one thing of something to somebody, then you really become irrelevant in their life. Yeah. You, you need to be there regularly regularly, whether it's seasonally or monthly or whatever, um, we happen to be more seasonal. And I I think that that's fine, right? I mean, holidays are seasonal and we still care about them. So, um, you know, my feeling is uh, we do a lot to, or we have to do a lot to play, not like manipulate that loyalty, but really uh, foster it. 
Yeah. And so you can do a couple of different things. You can constantly chase product based on what people are telling you they want. So if people say they want pajamas, okay, we're going to try and make pajamas. But more importantly, if what they're really after is the education of why those are different than somebody else's or kind of the communication style that they're receiving from us, which happens to be a tone that's um, a little funnier, a little irreverent, then we'll do that, right? We just need to kind of be present and and not in a weird way. (laughs) We have to tackle, dive into your other brands. Um, We're running out of time. Uh Have to go there. So we had Tycoon on the podcast recently, who's just so so talented. It's really nuts. That's the coolest dude. He's also very cool. Like when I come into the office, well, first of all, I copy his style all the time. Like I'll see him wearing something, and then I get it, and then he notices. He makes fun of me because everybody else. Um, he's just super talented. And I think the thing you want when you're working with a designer is this left brain, right brain thing, right? Um, yeah. Which is basically this idea that they're super creative and have vision around what that creativity is, but also can reconcile things against um, – what we need to do in sales or how to price engineer something so we could hit a price point that matters to a certain consumer demographic. And, you know, either I think part of it is it's natural to him or um, he's also had a lot of experience in this industry working with very talented people. For whatever reason, he has it. And so it's really nice and refreshing to work with someone that creative this regularly um, because there are no hard conversations. I, I never have to walk in and be like, mm, I need this you know, to cost less. He's already thinking, well, I want to make this, but I want people to be able to afford it. And I want them to think X, Y, and Z when they're getting it. I want them to think that uh, you know, it's a lot of value for a low price, whatever. So it yeah. uh, makes the conversation really easy. Um, it's been a pleasure to work with him. And the brand has a really, really bright future. We're just like – Looks like we're doing a lot, but we're just getting started. It's going to be crazy. Oh, great. Can't wait. It already has a store. It already has a store, yeah. Um, And, you know, we're looking at a couple other distribution alternatives to the business as well. I think the way I think about Takoon is, you know, we launched it. We built the framework of the business. We put up a beautiful website. We really drilled into the identity. And then we made products that were core to that identity at a price that we felt the customer could afford. So that's all like framework base level stuff. To build on it and build a brand, what we now need to do is assort and build a much bigger assortment for the business and show people the the breadth of um, the product and ultimately the breadth of the lifestyle. Uh, That's how kind of all brands in apparel scale naturally. The more product you make, the more of an audience you can cultivate, the larger your audience gets. Uh, So throughout 2020, the assortment's gonna grow uh, distribution's going to scale dramatically. Um, but I would say kind of what's core to the business today, which is kind of this idea that it's a more designer version of an Everlane essential business yes. with as much product and as much care and attention paid to each product. That's kind of the way that we're going with it. Um, the value of having a designer is that there's a very unique vision for the brand overall, which I would never be capable of doing on my own. Yes, we hear a lot about this conflict between uh, non-designer-led brands and designer-led brands. Anyway, I feel like you have your... We're working on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. You have your hands in both. Um, CEO of Tycoon, you're also taking on the role of CEO of... Ariel Chernis, Chernis's um, line coming out as well. Talk to me about, do, am I understanding it correctly? You're able to to take on all of these brands, all of these jobs, 
because you have built this amazing infrastructure. You have, I don't know, you you have the knowledge. You can just kind of, it's not plug and play, but you can really tap the same, some of the same uh, partners, a lot of the same partners. You know, it's a really simple, like I have to view things through very simple terms. Um, I have experience building a brand um, from zero and up. And I've done it during a time where distribution was changing and hiring needs were changing. And so I've had to go through a learning experience and a learning curve that was very steep. Um, It has been a pressure cooker and it's been very hard. But my intuition is that that learning experience in this time has been very unique. Um, And that can be that can support other brand alternatives. Um, Ariel, you know, that's been a really beautiful partnership. She is as strong as anyone I've ever worked with. Her vision is very unique. Um, and so, you know, people go, like, oh, well, she's an influencer. And the reality is she she isn't. And I know that this might be controversial for some people, but the reality is she has a very strong instinct at a from like a psych- psychology perspective of how women want to dress and how they want to feel. And I think that that's very natural to designing and making product. And so I l- kind of lean into her on that that instinct and then support with everything else that I know, which is scaling up an e-commerce business, rolling out retail, um, hiring needs, finance needs, whatever it is. And so we kind of met where I felt like, okay, I can give you the things that I've learned uh, because I think that you have something pretty transformative for the industry right now. I can just put structure around it uh, to make sure that it's given the best chance possible to be successful. I also view things oftentimes through an investor's lens. Since I, I do some early stage investing, um, like what would be a great investment? What, what would you want to see? What are the ingredients you'd want in the pot? Well, yep. you, you would want a brand already. You'd want followers to that brand already. Uh, you would want executive leadership that had literally gone through exactly what you need the business to go through in the short term. Um, and that's kind of where we meet, right? That's, yep. that's it. Um, so I felt like it was just a good investment to yes. think of it through that lens. And so in any event, we, we raised some capital for the business. We partnered up. Um, and it's going to be freaking nuts. Early 2020? When is that happening? So um, I think we're saying it now. Uh, it'll be April 2020 Exciting. is when we're, we're planning to uh, relaunch. I'll let Ariel do most of the talking yeah. because, <laughs> um, you know, she, she's – She's so sweet. She told me, she was like, man, you should post a little bit, you know, on Instagram. Man, I, I suck at Instagram. I mostly just post photos of Katie, my <laughs> fiance. And uh, I, ever since she told me, I haven't been able to because I'm so nervous. I'm going to like say something I'm not supposed to say or not look cool. I don't know. Like I've become very self-conscious about my Instagram, um, which, you know. <laughs> she's like a professional Instagrammer. She's unbelievable. Yeah. She's so no. I mean, like, her, just in terms of like art directing too. and Instagram, she came. She's like Matt, different photo. Like she changed my photo of me. Um, so I'm learning. <laughs> you know, there's definitely mutual mutual learning, and we meet regularly. She and I, um, where we can like learn from each other. We like make time where I can learn what she has, and she can learn what I have. Um, and so, in terms of partnership, I think that that's as good as it can get. Yeah. Um, so it's evolving, and 2020 is going to be a huge, huge year for that business. So I'm excited. Can't wait. And it's no coincidence that, you know, Takoon and 
Ariel have these huge, they have built-in followings. That was kind of a draw for you. Yeah. You know, I've seen the most difficult part of scaling up a business like Nottam was acquiring customers and building a brand. Uh, building a brand costs a lot of money regardless of – or it takes a lot of time. It's money or time. But regardless, um, there are expenses. And so uh, my feeling was that, again, from an investment perspective, if you can cut down on those costs, then you can probably develop a more profitable business. Um, acquiring customers is just expensive. And if those customers or followers already exist, then in theory, those businesses should grow faster and more profitably. That's just my intuition for consumer at large, whether it's apparel or whatever. Um, I think that finding businesses that can avoid those costs will become more successful faster. So I'm just trying to because I've been through spending the money and I've been through building the business and like clawing for growth like Nottam did for years. And it's so nice to be on the other side of that with Nottam and feel like I have something that is impenetrable, right? That like has a, a wall around it and is like we've built our our castle, so to speak. Um, it's uh, that like pain <laughs> has taught me lessons and those lessons – um, I'm trying to pass along and work with other people that I think are um, smarter and more talented than I am. Are you eyeing other opportunities? Is three brands your limit? Um, for now, my hands are <laughs> definitely full. I mean, it's I three brands think. and a QVC commitment, which <laughs> I have to say, it's a, it's a lot. Um, when I like signed up for it all, I was excited because I. I have ADD, and so I'm like constantly doing a million <laughs> things at once. And if I just put more work in front of me, then I never get distracted by things I shouldn't get distracted by. I just get distracted by more work. Yes. So it's, it's kind of like good. It feeds the flywheel. Um, but I'm like tapped out. <laughs> like <laughs> my ADD is like, okay, like we're going to like maybe not have this for a while. <laughs> right on. We'll catch Matt on QVC on your local TV. <laughs> your oh, local God. TV. <laughs> You can find it online, actually. Catch Matt on QVC. If you look up Nottam on QVC, you can actually see my videos, which are so embarrassing. They made me try on a women's sweater last time. Like, the models were like, Matt, yeah, try it on. And, like, me being, like, a huge goober, I was like, yeah, sure. Here I am, like, styling a women's poncho. Oh, God. This is going to live forever. will do for a sale. I will do anything to sell sweaters. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Matt. So fun. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.